welcome to another episode of Everyday Nutrition. I'm your host, Dr. Karina Tobin. I am delighted to have Richie Kerwin, who is going to chat to us about sarcopenia which uh, may be a little bit of a scientific term for many of you guys, but it's becoming more prevalent in today's society. And therefore, um, really, in my opinion, it's something that we all should be very much aware of. So first of all, I suppose, Richie, welcome to the podcast. And can you tell the listeners just, I suppose, a little bit of background on yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, Karina, thanks very much for having me. Uh, absolutely delighted to be chatting with you. Um, so my background, um, from Waterford originally, um, I did my undergrad in um, uh, micro- biological sciences and I ended up graduating in microbiology uh, many, many moons ago. I won't, uh, I won't age myself by, by telling you when, um, but I never got into, uh, I had always been interested in um, nutrition, but I just at the time, I decided not to get into it as a career, um, but eventually I just got called back to it, did my master's in nutrition then in, um, in Barcelona, and then I started working for a while as a nutrition coach, and now I'm doing my PhD in Liverpool John Moores University, and the, kind of, the focus of my, my research is on um, cardiovascular, cardiometabolic health, um, and how sarcopenia that relates to it, especially in cardiac rehabilitation. Um, so it's kind of me in a nutshell. Brilliant. Um, so sarcopenia. Tell sarcopenia. us all. Yeah. So it is, it's something. A lot of people, yeah. A lot of people haven't heard of it before. Um, the thing is, it's, it is actually something that has been, it's always been around. Um, and it's only getting more attention or the attention that it deserves now. So sarcopenia is the, uh, loss, the gradual loss of muscle mass and muscle function, strength, quality, that happens as we get older. Okay, so it's a very, very, well, it was previously considered a gradual process, but maybe we'll talk a little bit about that. But what I say to everybody to, to help them understand is, if you think of like somebody who was um, old when you were younger and you've been able to see them getting even older as you've aged yourself, you'll probably have noticed that like maybe your granny or, or your granddad might have gotten smaller or shrunk a little bit as, as you get older. And that is largely due to sarcopenia the, the, because we lose muscle mass as we get older. And, you know, we see our, our, our grandparents getting frailer as well. That's part of the process. They lose strength. Um, and we're realizing now just how much of an, or how much, how serious an issue it is because it is prevalent. Everybody does experience it. It's, it's very, very common, especially in institutionalized adults. So, uh, older people who are uh, in nursing homes, for example. Um, and we know it's related with things like frailty. It's associated with cardiovascular disease, with diabetes, um, with um, a greater risk of falls, with osteoporosis. So it's, it is a very, very serious condition. Um, but I say that, and I, I, I always like to follow that up with, but it's also something that we can quite readily remedy with a lot of people as well. Um, and hopefully we'll get into some of that today. Okay. So is it then something that only old people should be concerned about? Um, I would say, and when I say not. old people, when I say old people, <laughs> I better clarify because I'm old to some people now. Um, so when I say old, is it over seventies? Are they the people that should be concerned? No, I, so I think this is a good question because it, it lets us talk about uh, when it actually starts happening. 
So we know that from somebody's mid-50s onwards, that's when the speed or the rate of sarcopenia development really starts to, to, to take, um, take hold and people start to see a noticeable loss in their muscle function and in their muscle size. So from their mid-50s onwards, um, which you know, relatively coincides with somebody going into retirement, people becoming less active and activity is a, is a major risk factor or, or inactivity is a major risk factor for sarcopenia. But we also know that in the general population, okay, and I know you'll probably have a lot of people who are very, very much into fitness listening to this. Um, they make up a small part of the general population. But in the general population, we, we can see that from as early as one's 40s in men or from their 30s in women, we start to see a decline in muscle mass. And that's a very, very long amount of time. If you think of it, for a woman, you know, in her 30s, starting to lose muscle mass going all the way through to you know, her, her 70s or 80s, that's a very, very long amount of time to be losing muscle mass. So I think it's something that we, we as young people, I was going to say, I don't know do I fit in that category anymore, um, that younger people definitely should be aware of and should be doing things to make sure it doesn't become an issue for them in the future. And there's plenty of things that they can do to, to make sure of that. Okay, because I read a scary st- statistic around that you can lose between one to 2% of your muscle mass a year from your thirties and or forties, um, which could translate into half a kg every year, which is quite scary. Yeah. But my question is what, um, like, does that mean you're not, you're quite inactive to lose that amount of muscle so early on in life? So it, it can be that like, I, I will say I'm a nutritionist and obviously I love talking about the effects of food, but I will happily say right now that the main reason for sarcopenia or muscle loss is that inactivity. Okay. It has nothing, it, it's not necessarily to do with food exclusively, but it's, we, our bodies need a certain stimulus from us to maintain muscle mass. Okay. And that must, that stimulus comes in the form of physical activity. And if we're not being active, we're not giving the body the stimulus that we need to say, okay, let's hold on to this muscle. We need it. And I think we, we live in a society now where it is very, very easy to be inactive. Like the, the COVID situation is a perfect example because I have literally spent 90% of my waking hours sitting on a desk, working on a computer. And I think I'm, I'm probably uh, not the only person doing that. Um, so inactivity plays a huge role in the development of this condition. Uh, and that's why activity can play a huge role in preventing it as well. Okay. So let's, I suppose then take a step backwards. What exactly happens in sarcopenia? Like what causes it? It's an inactivity, but are there other factors? Okay, absolutely. Yeah. So inactivity is the big one, but there's also something um, that we call anabolic resistance that happens as people get older. And anabolic resistance basically means that our bodies are not as responsive to the normal uh, stimuli that we have for maintaining muscle as we get older. And just to, to be clear, there's two main stimuli for, for maintaining muscle mass. One of those is, we just mentioned it, physical activity, exercise of some form. And the other is ingesting protein. So when we eat protein, we stimulate something called muscle protein synthesis. And that basically just means that it's the process of building new muscles within our body to help with maintenance of muscle mass or even growth of muscle mass. So exercise stimulates, stimulates that, as does uh, eating protein. As we get older, it, we don't, we're not able to stimulate it as well, which means that older people actually need comparatively a slightly more intense stimulus from exercise to have the same response of, of building new muscle 
And they also need to eat larger amounts of protein to have the same response um, as, as a younger person might have. Um, other things happen as we get older as well. So for example, it's, it's very, very common in, for older people to become more insulin resistant. And when we're insulin resistant, that can have an effect on muscle protein synthesis as well, because insulin is a large part of the, the, the process that we need for building muscle. Um, another thing that happens as people get older is they tend to have uh, a slightly uh, elevated level of inflammatory uh, molecules or an, infl uh, an elevated level of inflammation within their body. Um, and we know that if somebody has a, a kind of a low background level of inflammation, um, that can affect the amount of uh, what we call catabolism or anabolism in the body. So if somebody's got more inflammatory molecules in their body, they've got a, a, it's not as good an environment for building muscle and it's a better environment for actually you know, losing muscle mass. Similarly, as, older, as people get older, we tend to accumulate a little bit more body fat. Um, and also we tend to accumulate a lot of what's called visceral body fat. And visceral body fat is the fat that we have around or even within certain organs. And we know that visceral body fat is very um, active in that it creates a lot of inflammatory compounds. It creates a lot of inflammation within the body. Within the body. And all of these things kind of come together and they can prevent or, or reduce the ability of an older person to generate new muscle or maintain the muscle that they have. So the anabolic resistance is one of the main reasons for it, but there's a lot to anabolic resistance and, and why it happens. Um, uh, I think the, the main one people like to focus on is on the protein. And just to give like some, some, some numbers, a, a younger person, let's say a, a young male, if you give a young male 20 grams of, of protein from a protein shake, for example, that's pretty much going to maximize his muscle protein synthesis response. Okay. Um, young men are, they're used very, very commonly in, in research. They've got all the look because you give them a tiny amount of protein and suddenly they're building muscle, no problem whatsoever. There's research that shows that in older men, so like people in their, you know, 60s, 70s, you might need as much as 40 grams of protein. So twice that amount just to generate the same amount of, of, um, muscle growth in an older person. So it's, it's, it seems quite unfair as well. Um, but yeah, those are some of the, the main reasons that it, it happens. Okay. So just to clarify then for the listeners, the main reasons it happens is because inactivity, um, because we become more resistant to absorbing the protein that we're eating. And we can't then as easily uh, stimulate our bodies to build muscle mass. Um, we have excess inflammatory markers, and they also impact the, pro the process of muscle building. Um, we become a little bit more insulin resistant, which also impacts muscle building. And then we have a little bit more fat, particularly visceral fat, um, which also impacts the process. Um, so, yeah, God, it's crappy getting old, isn't it? <laughs> Doesn't have to but be. We're Exactly. And that's what I, I, I saw in one of your recent posts that you said we can some a researcher uh, said you quoted him to say uh, we can choose how we age. Yeah. So that's uh, exactly. ben, ben Wall, um, who's a researcher. I think he's done in Exeter in the UK. Um, and I, I went to one of his talks at the, the FENS conference, which was on in Dublin. Um, I think that was 2019. 
I think that was the my my last international outing before uh, before COVID, you know, before lockdown. Um, my last chance to see other other researchers. And he gave an excellent talk on sarcopenia. He he does some amazing work in Exeter, and he said that we can choose how we age, and that's a lot to do with the the activity that we do and the food that we eat. Yeah. So tell us that, Richie. Okay. So we're for those who you know are, I suppose, inactive, and those who maybe. I mean, we're all at risk of sarcopenia. Um, but what does that actually mean? Like, how is that going to impact our life? Yeah, um, so th- this is where people need to, to give a little bit of thought about it. The, the big one that I will talk about um, to try and get people's attention is something called frailty. And, and frailty is something that younger people will not think about at all. It's, it's something you won't associate with yourself. It's like, I can, I can do everything now. I can run, jump, whatever. Um, I'm not going to be frail. But frailty, it it doesn't have a proper definition, by the way, but it's just, in general, it's an inability to do certain everyday tasks. And what I say to people is, if you think of an older person who is no longer able to get out of bed in the morning easily, or they have difficulty climbing up their stairs or getting down the stairs, they have difficulty getting out of a chair once they've been sitting down for a while, they can't carry their groceries home. They're not able to put the groceries back into their top shelves or whatever. They can't do the gardening. Think about that, how that would impact your quality of life. Okay. You, you lose a lot of independence and that can have some major knock-on effects on people. So for example, it can have major effects on um, somebody's risk of depression because you might not be able to get out of the house to go see your friends. You might genuinely just feel bad that you can't do all of um, these activities. And we do know that sarcopenia is associated with a greater risk of depression. It's funnily enough, it's associated with a greater risk of cognitive decline. Um, we need a lot more research on why that happens, but muscle does seem to play a role and activity plays a role in, in how our, well our brains function. Um, and it also plays a major role in, in, like I said earlier, osteoporosis, because our bones, the stimulus for maintaining healthy bones comes from activity and comes from the way our muscles interact with our bones. Our bones. So our muscles pull on bones and that stimulus from the muscles tells our bones to stay healthy. So if we're inactive and we, we don't have a lot of muscle, we see that there's a huge increase in what we call low bone mineral density or osteoporosis. And what comes with low bone mineral density is um, brittle bones. So if somebody falls, they have a greater chance of breaking a bone with low bone mineral density. And what's kind of like adding insult to injury is in older people with sarcopenia. So in muscle, we generally say we've got two types of muscle fiber. We've got type one and type two. That's an overgeneralization. But type two muscle fibers are the ones that tend to react very, very quickly. They, they do a lot of powerful, explosive movements. Um, they also tend to be the muscle fiber that we lose a lot in sarcopenia. It tends to predominantly be those type two fibers. The thing is, type two fibers are the fibers that we use when we lose our balance. Um, so for example, if you slip, what's going to happen is your muscles are going to fire very, very quickly. It's going to be a very quick reaction. And what you're going to do is try and save yourself from falling. If, you're, if you've lost a lot of those explosive fibers, you're not as able to save yourself from falling. So older people, they have a greater chance of falling and not being able to catch themselves before their fall, greater chance of hitting the ground. They've got the brittle bones. They've got a greater chance of breaking a bone, greater chance of hip fractures. So again, we see this sarcopenia, greater risk of falls, greater risk of hip fractures uh, and, and um, bone fractures in general. So that sucks. 
Um, and then when we get to the cardiometabolic side, which is more my side of things, we know that so muscle, for example, is a major dump for glucose in our bodies. When we eat glucose, our body needs to do something with it because we can't have high glucose levels in our blood. Where are you going to put it? You can either turn it into fat or you can send it to muscles. Muscle, and the muscle is the, the biggest, let's say, glucose dump in the body because we have bus, muscles throughout our tissue. If you've got lower levels of muscle and lower muscle quality, you don't have any place to dispose of all of this glucose. So we've got issues with diabetes and insulin resistance, and we see a massive increase in the risk of diabetes with sarcopenia. And we also, because you've got that insulin resistance, you've got this terrible cycle where we see uh, a further reduction in muscle mass. So in diabetics, we see a higher level of sarcopenia as well. And then we also see in um, cardiac pop populations that there's an increased risk of cardiovascular disease with, associated with sarcopenia. So uh, yeah, losing muscle is not good. Yeah, and I've, when I was reading your paper, you know, that you um, published around sarcopenia and COVID, I actually was surprised to read that a lower muscle mass is associated with a greater risk of mortality from cardiovascular disease, regardless of your fat mass. Yeah. yeah and I found it, that it's really very, it's interesting. interesting. It, it is. So interestingly, in, in cardiac populations, there's something that like some, some of your listeners might, might have heard of. It's called the, the obesity paradox. And the obesity paradox is uh, basically we, in a cardiac population, so when I say a cardiac population, somebody who's had a heart attack or some sort of a cardiac event, we see that people who have a higher body mass index, okay, so which is their, um, their body weight over their height squared, um, people with a higher body mass index tend to live longer. They've got lower rates of mortality compared to people with uh, low body mass index. And for the longest time, researchers didn't know why that was, because we know that high levels of body fat are associated with poor heart health. So why are these people with, the, with this higher BMI living longer? And the thing is, body mass index doesn't tell us the full story of somebody's body composition, okay? Um, and what, what further research has shown is that those individuals with higher levels, uh, higher BMIs also have higher levels of muscle mass. And muscle is quite heavy. It takes up a bit of weight. So we've seen that higher level of muscle mass is associated, associated with better health and better chance of survival from these conditions. Um, now, in, in, if you have a very, very low level of muscle mass, um, that's going to put you at risk. And even people with low levels of muscle mass, even if they've got low body fat, they're at risk. And if they've got high body mass, body fat, they're also at risk. Um, so muscle mass does play a major role and we really need to investigate why it has that effect. And that's part of my research. Yeah. Um, so what can we do, Richie? You know, what can people do? And obviously, I suppose, focus on the activity sphere first. Like what can people do in their earlier years and then progressing on? Like, you know, a lot of people would have parents and grandparents listening to this who may they who they maybe see getting frailer and frailer. So what can we do? Okay. Um, steroids. That's what everyone wants to hear. Funnily enough, um, steroids, a, a lot of the early steroids were actually developed per, to prevent muscle loss in clinical populations. So people who were bedbound and who weren't able to stay active, they developed these, these steroids to help them maintain muscle mass. Um, but uh, in the general population, uh, we're not going to be prescribing steroids willy-nilly. Um, so what can people do? Be active. And my... Okay, there's, there's a few things that we, we, we should talk about here. Let's talk about the younger people first, uh, talk about prevention. And like prevention is always better than cure. Okay, if you can stop something from happening, 
it's going to be much better in the long run. So I would say to young people, if you are not active now, get active and just stay active throughout your life. And that can be anything. Okay. So that can be like, find a sport that you enjoy and that you love and that you can do regularly and do that. Um, and that anything, any form of activity is better than nothing. Now, I obviously I'm very, very biased towards resistance exercise. And by resistance exercise, I mean, lifting weights or maybe using resistance bands or using weight machines. That kind of exercise is very, very much geared towards building muscle. Um, but I realize not everybody's going to do that. And I don't want to say that that's the only thing you can do, but resistance exercise is probably optimal for building muscle. So I think if you can do that and build a very, very solid base of muscle, we know that older individuals that have managed to build a solid base of muscle, um, uh, in their youth, they, they do all still lose some muscle mass over time, but they've got a higher, let's say buffer to, um, to lose muscle from, and it, potentially is not going to get to the point where they're not able to do other things. And it's not going to get to the point where they've got all of these metabolic complications as well. So build muscle throughout your life. I think that's absolutely fantastic. Now, how you do that is, is another conversation, but like resistance exercise is one, getting plenty of protein into your diet is another way of doing that. But in older people, um, I, I don't want to say that like, uh, if you're, if you've got sarcopenia now, you're done. That's not the case because we have actually before we talk about the older people, what about people who are kind of in their 50s? So particularly menopausal women, like is there, okay. you know, obviously they have they're having huge changes. There's a drop in estrogen, which we know is associated again with, you know, uh, reduced ability to build muscle mass. So what about those people who are kind of, you know, they're not young, but they're not old um, and they should be. I assume they should be more aware. Yeah, well, everybody should be, but definitely they should. And you brought up a good point there. And I didn't mention that in in the reasons for for sarcopenia, but changes in hormones as people get older is is a big one. So in men, we've got a gradual decrease in testosterone. In women, you've got a sudden drop in in estrogen, uh, you know, around uh, menopause. And I would say to to women, especially post menopause, uh, post menopausal, even perimenopausal women. Um, it's a good time to have a conversation with your doctor about HRT because um, HRT, uh, it has a terrible reputation because of some really poorly done studies a few years back. But getting on HRT can benefit muscle mass because estrogen in women is quite anabolic. Um, uh, so it's good for, for helping maintain muscle mass in those women. But everybody should be maintaining some level of activity, okay? Whether you're in your 20s, your 30s, your 50s, your 80s, staying active is literally a fountain of youth. I, I remember when I was doing my master's, my master's was in nutrition again, but we, we, one of my professors brought in weekly, it was fantastic, he brought in um, uh, other, uh, other professors from other universities in other fields, and we got one that was speaking about, uh, literally just about the benefits of exercise. And he said something that I'll never forget, and was like, if you could put all of the benefits of exercise into a pill, and give it to people, you would be a millionaire because exercise just, it, it corrects so many wrongs that, that are going on right now. Um, so activity is incredibly important. If, if I don't care what age you are, if you are not active now, become more active. And if you have had difficulty finding something to, that you could enjoy, like if, if you hate going to the gym, don't go to the gym. Start at where your level is. And, and this kind of brings me up to the older individuals. 
you need to start with somebody's level and build from there. And if, if it's somebody who's 80, 80 years old and they have difficulty getting out of the chair, that might be a great exercise for them. Just sitting on the chair and practicing standing up out of it, maybe having somebody hold their hands doing it. Um, I remember my grandmother, she, she was told by her doctor she needed to work out more or exercise more. And I remember seeing her lifting cans, like just from the, uh, from the, uh, from taking them out of the press and just like li- li- lifting cans of beans or whatever, and just, just doing like bicep curls. And I, God, I, I was a child at the time, but I, I used to laugh at that. But it's absolutely essential. Find something that you like. And if you can find something that you enjoy, then it's no longer go. It's not going to be an issue doing it because if you enjoy it, you're going to stick with it and you're going to do it a lot more. Um, but starting at at your level is important, and that might That's be like I said, standing out of a chair, walking more regularly, walking up and down the stairs, doing more chores at home or in the garden, and then progressing from there. And that's where somebody should, you know, maybe get uh, some help. Like if somebody wants to do a little bit more, it might be maybe get a coach, somebody who has experience working with older people and who can get you working with resistance bands. Or, you know, maybe somebody might want to try the gym for the first time in their life. Give it a try. I Like try new things, give it a, a decent amount of time to see if you like it or not. And if you don't, you don't. And if you do, brilliant. You, you've got a fantastic type of exercise. But with older people, we do know that, if you put them into a resistance exercise program, and that might be with resistance bands or it might be in a gym, they will gain muscle mass. And more importantly, they'll gain strength. And that strength, I personally, I think muscle mass is slightly overrated compared to the benefits of strength. I think um, you'll actually see a greater relationship between a decrease in strength uh, and you know, these, these health outcomes than you will with, um, with muscle mass. Uh, so if you can get somebody stronger, you know, they're going to be able to, to maintain their balance better. They've got a less cha- likelihood of falling. They're less likely to be frail and they can do all of these important activities with their daily life. Brilliant. So two major things I think I really kind of hit home for me there. Start at your level. It doesn't mean that you have to go out and pump iron. It could mean, you know, you're going for a walk or you're getting off the chair or you are lifting your tins or I know like Little and Aldi always have little weights on sale now regularly throughout the year. Go get some weights. Um, and I suppose for a lot of people, it may mean that, you know, younger people should be encouraging older people to do some type of resistance training. Because I know particularly in my parents, for my parents, they wouldn't have been used to any type of resistance. It was all about doing the aerobic stuff. Um, and then I suppose, yeah, the, that and, you know, the other factor then is diet. So let's yeah. talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. Uh, so the big thing I would say uh, about diet and, and the main component people should be focusing on is their protein intake. Okay. Um, so protein, anything coming from you know meat, eggs, fish, um, dairy products are fantastic. Um, and then some of the, the other um, vegetarian sources, things like tofu, corn uh, are really, really good as well. Um, what we see is that in older individuals, one, we've got a very, very low intake of protein in general, um, which is problematic. Uh, and there, there seems to be an issue now with the recommendations for protein, because people will often hear, you know, the recommendation, the recommended amount of protein is, and it's, it's, a, it's a funny number, it's 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight. So it's based on your individual body weight. That amount of protein exists for one reason only and it's to prevent something called protein malnutrition okay it's to prevent a deficiency of protein in your diet it's not 
optimal for, for health. And we've got a lot of really, really great research. There's one, if anybody wants to look it up, it's called the Protage um, uh, Report. And it talks about protein for older individuals. And we think that a minimum level of 1.2 grams per kilogram of body weight for older people is probably a much better level for helping them to maintain muscle mass. Um, now that doesn't really, you know, for a lot of people, that's, that's not going to, to mean anything at all. Yeah. Um, Translate, but, please. Uh, yeah. So uh, what <laughs> Into I would food. say based on that, okay. Um, I would say actually just before I give any recommendations, I would say in older people, we also see that their protein intake is skewed. Breakfast tends to be incredibly low in protein. We're talking, you know, around 10 or 12 grams of protein, which is very, very little. Uh, lunch is a little bit better. And then we always see that dinner is the, the heavy, uh, the protein heavy meal. So let's, let's, if we talk about uh, what that should look like, I would say older individuals, potentially 30 to 40 grams of protein three times a day is a good amount of protein to, to be aiming. Uh, but that's, ma- and that's massive. Like if that you think about big dose of protein. Yeah. Yeah. If so like if we try, terms, yeah. In ter- sorry, in terms of meat, that's like 150 grams of, of chicken, you know? Uh, so like a, a, a moderately small chicken breast. Um, but like most people don't eat an entire chicken breast for, for, for their meal. Meat is also expensive for older people as well. Uh, it's the same for about 150 grams, 140 grams of, of uh, lean red meat, if you want it. So it sounds like a lot. So what I like to recommend and what we were planning on doing in our study before COVID hit was we wanted to see how could we supplement protein in people's diet without making a massive change to their diet. And, and one of the great things is there's a lot of really, really good high protein dairy products coming out at the moment. So you, people will probably see things like quark and skier and, you know, different cottage cheeses and Greek yogurts. And these are all quite high in protein. And the great thing is dairy protein is also a very, very high quality protein. So potentially you need a little bit less. Um, so what I, what we did in our study or what we planned was we say with your meals, take one of these high protein yogurts that have like 20 or 25 grams of extra protein on top of your meal. Okay. So you have a, you might have a normal breakfast, normal lunch, and just add these high protein yogurts. And the great thing with yogurts is that, you know, it's not weird. It's like, you're not saying to an older person here, have a protein shake. And, you know, you see your granny, like, you know, mixing up shakes and, and downing them after lunch or something like that. Older, older people don't want to do that. Like I hardly have protein shakes at all, but I will gladly eat a, a high protein yogurt anytime, you know, and I can fit it in. Uh, it's something I enjoy. And it's, it's not like, you know, like I, I love my meat as well, but you know, I'm not going to sit down and eat huge amounts of meat at every meal. Um, then there's, there's other questions from an environmental perspective of what that's like. So adding protein to their already existing meals especially if it's a low fat protein is a really, really good option. So I, I like to recommend that to people. So if you can find those high protein yogurts that are like 25 grams or 20 grams of serving, those are great. And I suppose they could also be great if you're talking about someone who is, you know, a vegetarian. Um, because obviously again, they're going to have to work a little bit harder to get that protein intake as well. Um, if we do talk a little bit about supplements, um, I, I suppose, because again, they, they do, they do play a role. And, you know, at the start, you, at the start, you mentioned like take steroids, take the magic pill. Um, okay. Don't take steroids, but we know that there's some supplements that can also help. Um, because as well as that, you know, saying to people take in 1.2 grams per kg body weight of protein every day, 
um, which may be, you know, 100 grams of protein uh, is a lot for people. So is there, I suppose, a number of supplements that they can also use to protect their muscle mass or stimulate muscle protein synthesis? Yeah. So if we talk exclusively about that, like trying to maybe somebody wants to reduce the amount of protein they're eating, there is a, a supplement available called leucine. And leucine is an amino acid. Um, and what, what leucine does is, so it's, it's found in all proteins, but in higher and smaller amounts. But we know that the amount of leucine, this specific amino acid in a protein, is directly related to how well it stimulates muscle protein synthesis. So there has been some research done adding leucine to lower protein meals so that it almost tricks the body into saying, okay, there's a load of leucine in this, let's, let's start building muscle. Um, and there are some results that indicate it's, it's potentially beneficial. It's, I wouldn't hang my hat on it, but in people who can't eat higher amounts of protein, adding leucine, so maybe two to three grams of leucine to a, a regular meal with a regular amount of protein may help to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. So that's one thing that people can do. Um, if we talk about other supplements, um, my big one, the big one that I'd recommend uh, is creatine, okay? And most people, if you've heard of it, um, you either take it or you're, you're somebody who thinks it's a steroid. Um, and cre creatine isn't a steroid. It, it's actually um, a, a non-proteinaceous amino acid. And it's something that our bodies make naturally all the time. We're making it right now. Um, and we can also get it from our diet, from foods like uh, red meat and from fish. But we know that supplementing with creatine um, can be beneficial for older people because creatine helps us with explosive movements. It helps with power generation in our muscles. And it can help to improve muscle strength. And if you're stronger, you've got more function, your muscles are moving better, you're less likely to experience the, the, the problems associated with, with frailty. And on top of that, creatine can help people with their exercise performance. So if somebody starts taking creatine, they can probably train a little bit harder if they're older, and they can probably get more benefits because they can train harder from their exercise. And we know that that training intensity is important for, for older people as well. Brilliant. And you know why I asked you that? I asked you that because my dad has the worst appetite. Um, and I know appetite as you get, so number one, protein fills you up. So not only are you full because you're having more protein throughout the day, but also your appetite's decreasing. And I might say to my dad, you know, like in the middle of the day, are you going to have lunch? And he's like, oh no, sure, I had breakfast. And I'm like, oh, well, like you're never going to hit the protein that you need. Now, obviously I'm in slightly influential there. So he does take a protein shake and he does take creatine. So, uh, you know, but again, I suppose it's very individual for everyone. And I think the big thing, no more than you said, start with your level with exercise. You got to start with your level with nutrition as well. So I suppose, you know, if again, you have nobody to, I suppose, inform you around that, it might be a good idea to, again, get some support um, from a nutritionist or a dietitian. I'm going to wrap up, Richie. I could talk to you for obviously like hours, uh, but I'm going to wrap up because I'm conscious of time. So I've, I've two questions to finish off with. The first one is if, you know, if you could, I suppose, give people three practical tips out of what we've discussed to prevent or, or, you know, I suppose, prevent it, prevent sarcopenia 
or help with people who may be um, seeing their parents get get more frail or their grandparents or even people who are getting more frail? Like, what would the tips that you would give them? Limited um, to three. Okay. Top three. To three. Okay, right. Um, in, in reverse, oh, yeah, in, in, in definite order of importance, um, I would say exercise any form that you can make it a part of your life. Um, And I know right now during COVID it's difficult, um, but you have to say, okay, I'm setting aside this amount of time to exercise. And it, it, it really is a fountain of youth for people. So exercise is one. The other would be get enough protein in your diet um, and figure out how you can do that efficiently for yourself. Don't, if you don't like protein shakes, don't force yourself to have protein shakes, find something that you can genuinely enjoy and that you genuinely want to to eat um because i i don't believe in making diet unpleasant like it doesn't need to unnecessarily be so and then the the last thing i would say is um get enough sleep and sleep is an absolute godsend when it comes to your nutrition and your your uh your exercise because if you sleep we know sleep is directly related to the amount of muscle that we have. If we sleep less, it's easier to lose muscle. But we also know that people who sleep less are less likely to engage in healthy behaviors. They're less likely to get up and exercise. Like anybody will notice yourself. If you wake up in the morning and you didn't get a good night's sleep, there's no chance you're going to go out and go for that run, or it's a lot less likely. And we also know that uh, people who um, don't get enough sleep also have uh, impaired appetite control. So they tend to... Uh, eat a lot, eat food to excess, but they also tend to focus on very, very high fat, very, very calorie dense, uh, very, very high carbohydrate foods, which are not necessarily high in protein as well. So sleep, protein, exercise. Um, Brilliant. Last question. We all know that as practitioners, giving people the knowledge doesn't translate into behavior. So if there was one thing you could advise people to help them push one of these tips i suppose make it a habit or make it a behavior like what would you advise them schedule some time so i I find that like it's all well and good telling somebody to do something but if they don't put the effort into making a time for it in their life it's not going to happen so i say schedule a time for exercise schedule a time for sleep and try sticking to it for a while um, and that just start working on building the habit. Like you have to start somewhere. And if it's just saying to yourself, right, I want to go to bed at 10 o'clock every night, do it and see how that goes here for you for a while. Um, but yeah, brilliant. Schedule things in. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Richie. This has been absolutely so informative. Um, and I know that you can be found on Instagram as be no more nutrition and i would highly recommend that everybody follow you because your posts are absolutely brilliant from translating science into practice um and where else can they find you if they're looking for you uh, that's probably the easiest place to find me um for anybody who's interested in the research side of things i'm, I'm also i have a profile on ResearchGate, um and i've got a website uh, be more nutrition as well which is uh unfortunately very much unattended but i i do plan on getting some more articles up there at some point Listen, thanks a million, Richie. Really appreciate it. And to anyone who wants any more information on Richie or the topics, I will be linking everything in the show notes. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Everyday Nutrition. 
Please hit subscribe and or leave a review on your favorite podcast app. And please join me on the next episode soon. Oh.